episode 252 of the no pristinium podcast the voice of everything immersive i'm your host noah nelson today on the show we're going to be talking about the immersive entertainment industry report which we released this week uh we've got the authors ricky briganti and sarah elgar of pseudonym productions on board to uh talk about some of the the highlights of uh the, the takeaways from the report uh the sort of moment we're all in as the economy lurches towards reopening. And I'm, I'm going to have some notes on that after uh, the main interview uh, and uh, a discussion about the um, kind of informational uh, labeling system, uh, nutritional information for immersive, which uh, gets proposed in the report this year. Uh, something that uh, we, we encourage people to start exploring and thinking about and indeed something that, you know, we're exploring and thinking about here at NoPro uh, and uh, all in all and overall. Um, just a, cu- a few quick notes, a quick few notes is what I was about to say and then I didn't and then I did. Uh, a few quick notes uh, before we get started, number one, uh, not only did we release the industry report this week, which was originally intended to be released uh, at the Here Summit and Festival, we also opened up the public beta of the Everything Immersive site. So uh, it used to be if you went to everythingimmersive.com, you would go to the, uh, the, the Facebook group uh directly the facebook group is still there you just got to go through facebook now now if you go to everythingimmersive.com you're going to find our brand new searchable website uh which is uh we're kicking the tires on uh you will not find the complete database of all things immersive in there at the moment however uh, it is open for business as far as accepting submissions. Those submissions will appear both on the EI site and for now also appear at the NoPro Newswire. Once we get things going, once we get the flow in place, and we know the site works and we know that it's not going to cost us an arm and a leg to run. We are going to shift everything on the Newswire over to EI. And EI is going to evolve over time. Uh, this is the... On the coding side of this, this is the work of one man, uh, Chris Grimm, uh, a web developer who approached me um, over a year ago saying, hey, I got this idea. I want to do something. I was like, that sounds wonderful. I've wanted to do that for a while. And uh, it's been a passion project for us both this entire time. And we were operating in stealth mode. So now it's out there in the world. Uh, Everythingimmersive.com. If you've got a show coming up, a production, it can be uh, in the real world or online. Uh, anything that falls under our rubric, please use the system there to submit it to us and we will get it into the channels that way. Uh, that's, a, that's a really big thing for us. And also it's going to make uh, Catherine's life a lot easier. Uh, no more hand coding the newswire for us. The newsletters are still coming out. Uh, we didn't have one last week. We're not going to have one this week just because I want to play. I want to catch up uh, into a good flow uh, for with next week's newsletter. And uh Again, we'll talk a little bit about the whole reopening thing in a moment. Um, Those are the big news notes for this week. Uh, Wanna thank all of our Patreon backers. Uh, We haven't haven't moved the needle, haven't been trying to move the needle. Uh, It's not not the time for us to be banging that drum. 
um, not that we don't need to bang the drum, but that's neither here nor there at the moment. Oh, want to thank our sustaining backers, Mark Balthazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hanson, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, Samuel Mustry, Sidney Guillory, Jeremy Charles Hahn, Brittany, and Elaine. Uh, if you'd like to join their ranks or help us out in any way, patreon.com slash no proscenium keeps this machine moving. Uh, and there's a lot more work to be done. Um, all right. On that note, um, Ricky and Sarah worked on the report for a very long time. Uh, last year's report was about something like about 25 pages long, give or take. Uh, this year's report is over 100 pages. Uh, it's a lot bigger of an effort. And uh, we, we cast a, a, a wider net. And is is it completely comprehensive in all ways, shapes, and forms? No. Uh, this is the work of individuals. Uh, we are slowly but surely building an institute, the HERE Institute, in order to have the resources to do this at full bore. But the, the sheer amount of work that Ricky and Sarah put into this, uh, I'm just impressed by and uh, blown away by uh, their professionalism on this one. So hopefully the report is useful to all of you. As always, we release it uh, for free um as as a tool for everyone uh and things change have changed a lot uh and, and they're going to be weird again we'll get into that some uh with with the pandemic response uh but we decided to release the report as a snapshot of where we were and it's going to be interesting to see where we wind up a year from now when we get the next one out so uh this conversation uh, includes a question from the audience because uh, we did this on the here discord uh, if you are a member of the nofo patreon uh, you have the ability to join us uh, when we record episodes live and participate in uh, discussions uh, there's no obligation to of course uh, we have one question on the air and then we open up for like people to hang out afterwards and everyone's like yeah you know we'll run off it's like, cool uh, I actually I, I talked with uh, someone for a while afterwards but uh, it was just like a one-on-one -on -one thing so uh, we are going to have office hours today in the Here Discord. Uh, today, the day I'm releasing this, that would be Friday, June 12th. Uh, that'll happen at 4 o'clock Pacific time. We're going to get into the rhythm of trying to do office hours a little more regularly. Uh, for no other reason than I'm sure people have questions, concerns, and uh, that's that's the most efficient way to, to knock it out. So again, Patreon backers uh, can join us there. Uh, Patreon.com slash no proscenium. And with that, done plugging. Let's uh, let's get into this week's episode. Ricky and Sarah, thank you for joining me from uh, Philly today. Absolutely. Happy to be here. Thanks for having us. Cool. I, I wish, I mean, I suppose we could do video so that we could see each other, uh, but like that just adds more bandwidth issues. Like I, I do wish I could actually see you guys and be talking to you in person about this and that it was, you know, what, two and a half months ago when we were supposed to do this. Yeah. We, when we were supposed to get together in person and actually see each other and, you know, that was still a thing. I think, I think all of us are probably, uh, Corona pretty right now. So, um, I think just just voice is fantastic. <laughs> I like that. I'm 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 using that from here on out. Uh, I will try. And, <laughs> I will try and credit you when appropriate. Uh, <laughs> someone says like, "Oh, why isn't your camera on?" Well, I'm Corona pretty today, so. <laughs> 
Um, this is not an After Dark episode. This is literally the middle of the day on a Thursday. But nevertheless, well, we're a little punch drunk right now um, because uh, – What's the modified version of the Game of Thrones saying? The day is long and full of terrors. Um, so um, what we're going to talk about this time out, as we mentioned in the cold open, is uh, the industry report, which we finally got a chance to release this week. Uh, we're going to talk about three things today. Uh, one, um, what the big takeaway, uh, as as uh, Ricky and Sarah see it from the report are. Uh, two, sort of the moment we're in right now, uh, sort of some ways we kind of tried to address things in the report vis-a-vis uh, -vis the uncertainties, but also some of the things that are literally happening in this moment. Uh, I know we've talked about that on the show in the past. We've, we've had meetings about it even, uh, but here on June 11th when we're recording, it's a very different place from just, you know, two weeks ago in terms of what's going on in the world. Uh, and I'm, I'm not just talking about, um, and actually even, even without uh, the, the, the civil rights movement that has has reignited here in the states, just on the corona side alone, we would uh, we would be talking about a very different environment from what we were a couple of weeks ago in in multiple dimensions, right? So we're, that's that's the scope, right? That's what we're focused on today. And then the third thing is a big section at the end uh, where we get into some standardization stuff, and I wanted to kind of open open our discussion and sort of in our thinking about it, because it's also the part that uh, right towards the end, uh, the three of us had like the most conversations on. So I want to get a little transparent there for everybody. So that's the setup. Uh, Ricky and Sarah, what what was your what was your big what was your biggest takeaway? Maybe even like your big surprise uh, with regard to you know this year's report. I mean, there were certainly challenges uh obviously along the way in putting it together um we were you know about about 65 ish percent done with it when the uh the the virus rolled into town and at that point we had you know the the challenges that we've already talked about with that um but we pressed ahead and sort of decided that that snapshot moment was going to be important to to see you know what was the the pinnacle of this immersive entertainment industry before the world went on pause and something we can you know sort of look towards to see what what awesomeness were we fulfilling at that time and for me personally and I know there's there's a lot of perspectives on this and in the report you know we we offer the fact that uh, there are a lot of metrics for success by which anybody can judge what what you're striving for in the industry. And for me, I'm I'm definitely a big numbers person. Usually, when you know industry reports come out, the big thing everyone's looking for are these these numbers. How do you how do you put a value on things? And you know, uh, every year, like the theme park attendance numbers come out and things like that. And certainly, as we move forward in the you know. In the, in the months ahead, there's going to be a lot of numbers all over the place because nobody's been doing anything and you can't get together. Um, but before all of that, it was great to see that there had been tremendous growth from uh, the year prior, you know, 2018 to 2019 uh, for the immersive entertainment industry as a whole. And including theme parks, we put a value on the whole industry at $61.8 billion, um, which is a, a massive increase over the, the prior report. Um, I, I think the, the- Also, this reiterate for everyone who might've misheard, billion with a B. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And, and a huge amount of that is, is uh, you know, of course, attributed to, to the themed entertainment industry, to theme parks um, of that, you know, minus that, actually, it, it's nine point seven billion dollars is the rest of the industry. So, you know, theme parks continue to be the the far and away leaders of all things immersive uh, for good reason. You know, they launched what immersive is all about many decades ago, but it's really exciting to see um, the rest of the industry really, you know, pick up some steam. And it gives to me really great hope for, you know, the power. And as the report is called the strength of the industry moving forward from, from all angles, you know, if you can, if you can tie it to numbers like that. And for somebody on the other side of the path, who's not exactly numbers obsessed like Ricky is, um, I guess I'm on, on the more artist side. I really have been inspired and impressed by really the artistry that's been happening. Um, and it's really the, again, going to the strength, it is the sense of sort of a community that's really strengthening and developing with each other. And everyone is starting to reach out to each other and really um, help guide the industry forward and help guide where we want this to go sort of together. And I think that's something that is really empowering for me as a creator, but I think for other creators as well, um, because we're, you know, we're looking to grow and yes, the money will come and yes, the numbers will come. But I think a lot, a lot of people are really focused on creating that beautiful, innovative product that they know people will come back to over and over again. And it's really exciting to see all these different companies that have been really pushing forward to create that. And even, I mean, I know we're focusing on this one snapshot period, but even to think about like today where we are, there's been tremendous amounts of innovation that's already been occurring in just the past couple of months. And to me, that is, I mean, who knows if those are successful or not, but to me, that part doesn't matter. It matters that they're trying. Creators are out there working and pushing constantly to innovate and to pivot and to move forward in directions that we never knew possible. And so many industries can't do that. And so that's what I think is very valuable with where we are and what our creators can actually accomplish. We can really, I feel like, go anywhere we want. Yeah, I think there's something particularly about looking at how the current crises have sort of put an intense focus on the way the community responds and uh, a focus on the the fact that there is a community number one but also about what's at the heart of the art form that that it's about connection that it's about uh, a kind of depth to the work and that the the tools that are used um can be pretty we can be pretty agnostic about what the platform is because there's the end result is about the effect. What effect are you having on the the audience? You know, how you are you drawing the participants in? Um, I think this can be really seen, you know, with some of the stuff that goes on with Escaton, um, which you know runs once a week in New York, uh, and is a you know mostly a DIY setup. But like there, they're Leveraging, you know, what they can do with Vimeo, not Vimeo, with, with Zoom. I wish it was Vimeo. Oh, I hate Zoom so much. Uh, <laughs> what they can do with Zoom, what they're doing with the websites and how they've sort of, they've built a world. And something I didn't know until the New York Times article on it this week was that that was a show they were planning on making IRL. They were rehearsing that or just entering rehearsals. They had been developing the show for seven months 
uh, to be a, a physical uh, installation. Uh, and they pivoted it into being this thing that you could ex explore online. And I think to speak about the, the strength of, of immersive, you know, that says they were building a world. Uh, they were building a world people could interact with. And what form that world had to take is, it's not immaterial, but there's a resilience built into that world building. Um, and and we're seeing some of that happen also like I think on the on the theme park scale, right? You know, the fact that um, you know, there's gonna be a Batu and it's probably already in the pipeline, but there's gonna be, you know, a, a Galaxy's Edge VR thing. And, you know, they they rolled out, you know, some stuff uh about the droids uh for the apps. Like this this way that uh there can be this line between the digital and the physical or all the stuff that's going on in the underpresents, um, how those techniques are being brought in. So and that's one of the things that's going to shake out of this, because there are aspects of this industry that people have been trying to do in physical experiences that are honestly better suited for online and vice versa. And and there were, you know, a lot of people who just weren't necessarily working in one medium or the other. And this is, you know, I like to try to think positively about all of this. And it's really offering an opportunity for people to try new things and, and do those experiments and be like, ah, this thing we were trying to force here, it actually works really well over here. You know, you brought up Galaxy's Edge. I have to imagine that a lot of the stuff that they cut from the live physical land is now going to end up in the VR version because it's just, it makes more sense there. Um, and so, you know, things like that, it, it's, it's interesting to watch. Um, certainly, you know, as we put in the report, as much as I do love the numbers and the graphs and the charts, just to look at the very like qualitative language that is being used by both creators and audiences alike from the surveys that we sent out uh, to, to watch from like last year where we were very in the weeds and creators were using words like participatory and agency and environmental and sensory, which are totally cool industry words, but mean nothing to consumers. But this year, this past year, creators have started using more frequently words like live, adventure, fun, game, creative, you know, stuff that makes more sense to average Joe. And, and that is just part of this, this evolution that the industry is going on. I think also it's really exciting when you think about digital experiences or things that can be done online, not IRL. But that's, that's a fantastic way to consider growth because then people from all over the world can experience a creator's vision and these really small intimate IRL experiences that are fantastic maybe only 10 or 15 people get to actually experience it so in an industry that is ripe for growth and is pushing forward rapidly I think this is a prime opportunity to focus, you know, sort of as Ricky's saying, maybe there are really fantastic opportunities for creators to actually experience tremendous growth if they think about it differently or think about, you know, other ways that they can connect and reach their audiences. And, and to that point, uh, in the in the audience survey that was was sent out, the most common phrase that was given back about uh, how what people thought of immersive experiences was simply the phrase "not enough." And you can take that to mean, number one, experiences themselves aren't, you know, giving as much as people want, but it's it's also like this insatiable appetite, like it's not enough, we want more, we want more. 
Um, yeah. And and that's a, a wonderful problem to have. Yeah. And also with re- with regards to getting access to new audience members and larger audience members because of being digital and because of you know more access, um, this is something that companies looking for funding could really benefit from because if there are some VC firms or there's some angel investors that are really becoming interested in our industry, they're looking for companies and and artists who can reach, you know, reach more people or reach a larger audience or have have that, you know, the vision of growth. And so this is something that could also help our industry in a way. So like Ricky said, we're trying to look positive and we're trying to see the opportunity and something that has been really impactful for us, you know, over the past couple of months. I think we're really going to see folks as they familiarize themselves with this, you know, the, the strengths of the tools that are available and also the weaknesses of the tools that are available, ways to leverage what they make IRL and bring some part of it online. I've always thought that you know, the the most successful companies, whether they're chasing VC money or not, are going to be building things that can scale in in different forms. Right. So if you if you pull back far enough and you look at a, a, a massive, you know, insane franchise like, you know, Star Wars, uh I feel guilty when I bring it up. Um, you know, how does that thing make its money? Uh, I mean, just for me alone, it gets it off toys and video games and books and comic books and movies and television shows and YouTube shows and a physical location and a breakfast cereal. Like, uh, not the breakfast cereal. Those those were always awful. I wish they weren't, but my God. But I, you bought them anyway. <laughs> I can still remember how bad C-3PO's taste. Like, just, just absolute stale cardboard. Um, that being said... There are all these different touch points, all these different ways, you know, on the one hand to monetize a sucker like me, and on the other, as a way to onboard people into uh, the story world that has been built. Too many times people think they have to build an entire frickin' franchise before they before they go, and I think we watched that model get tried out for the last 20 years in Hollywood and fail out uh, with, you know, the the Marvel Cinematic Universe being uh, the seeming exception that proves the rule, but it, it really wasn't because all the MCU was was an adaptation of like 60, 70 years worth of comic books. Uh, they had a lot of material they could use to bring that over. But you saw things like them trying it with Tron, like, you know, lots lots of fetch trying to happen. That's not something I would encourage anybody to do. But if you focus on the characters you're building, on the spaces those characters are inhabiting, uh, and that's been the biggest thing for me in this period. And it's also reminded me of what I engage with best and what I often find myself longing after when I go to... Uh, an immersive, if it's, if, if I find it good, it's like, I want to get back to Manderley. I want to get back to Covell. I want to get back to Batu. It's not the story as much as the place. Um, it's the promise of another story 
the the promise of a, another a possibility, the road not taken. Um, I, I feel that with the Grand Paradise. I mean, that was that was a major one for me. Like I, I left the Grand Paradise, which was a Third Rail Project's follow-up to Then She Fell, far too short-lived uh, in my opinion, but again, a sophomore album that not everybody dug. Uh, Zay and I loved it. And, and, you know, as soon as I was out of that building, I already felt that sense of loss and longing. And so like I booked another ticket while I was on the subway back to where I was staying that night and went back two days later. Um, that, that sense, I'm, I'm encountering that sometimes online right now. Uh, I get a, a taste of that with Eschaton. I get a taste of that with a, a couple of the, 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 the experiences I've had, like playing in the telelibrary. It just feels like someone's, someone's built out this little pocket of alternate reality. Um, and it's great to see that arrive in different platforms now because there, there has been so much focus on, on virtual reality and augmented reality, VR in particular, and so much of the funding world has been, has been focused on that. Um, you know, it's, it's obviously a technology that has had its, you know, it's come and gone multiple iterations over the decades, and, and this is the closest version that has been hitting. Um, and, and now we're seeing during this pandemic, you know, a, a sudden spike in interest, obviously, when everyone's trapped at home. Even so, it's still, you know, 90% of the country doesn't own VR and so and, and doesn't really plan to, you know, our, our own survey before the uh, before the, the virus, 82% of our respondents had no plans to buy any VR hardware this year. Um, that may have changed by now, but it's it's still a significant factor. And so I like seeing, yeah, like you were saying, obviously we don't want Zoom experiences forever, but all these different types, whether it's telephone or whatever interface, you know, it's great to see it expanding. Yeah. And and the ones that are working well are, are building that sense of space. I mean, virtual doesn't have to mean a headset, right? right. Like it's, it, the the idea the idea of cyberspace is a lot more and virtual space is a lot more flexible than that. Um, and I think this is where this is like the prime opportunity for creators to push that. We don't need yeah. to do Zoom productions. I mean, we're not. I don't think people are looking for that. They don't want to play by an actor in a room. You know, they want something new. And I think this is where you know we as a community can, can like buckle down and be like, okay, what's next? How are we pushing this forward? We don't have to necessarily do VR, AR. Maybe we can. Maybe it's a combination of things. Yeah. Um, but I think this is time to innovate, and it's a great opportunity. I mean, we're we're finding as we. I mean, the funny thing is, right? Is we we launched the EI website this week, uh, in in beta, you know, and and there's there's plenty of beta testing going on. It's plenty of things like, oh, hey, if you do that, that doesn't work. Mm, Got to fix that. Uh, we're in that mode with it. Um, but you know, the the dark irony was that when we started down that road, the entire focus was on creating a website where you know, like with Google, there'd be a prompt that was basically like. Hey, where are you? Where are you? Because you want to see stuff around you. How can I find something to do near me? That was the entire problem we were, we were trying to solve, uh, the primary one. And that became absolutely irrelevant by the time we were ready to run it, which was not expected. So suddenly now we're, we're in this mode of, you know, what are, what are people looking for? 
And there is a level where, you know, we, we put some taxonomy stuff in there of, okay, maybe someone is looking for a Zoom show, but they're not necessarily. So it becomes more important of, you know, you know, what's the genre of something? I think to get to your guys' earlier point, you know, is it an adventure? Is it a com- is it a comedy? Is it a story? Is it character driven? Right? These are the things I, I always look forward to the day when we actually drop a lot of the nomenclature, right? Like, um, I, I, I always thought this in the transmedia days uh, when that was like, you know, the, the next big thing. Uh, and it's still, transmedia is totally around. I mean, we're very much in a transmedia moment right now, but no one talks about transmedia because that's a practitioner uh, tool um, more than anything. It's having a heyday in academia again. I shouldn't say no one talks about it. It's having a bit of a resurgence, but we'll see how long that lasts. It didn't last very long last time. Um, but I was always longing for the day when people stopped talking about, oh, this is a transmedia story, or this is a cross-media story, or this is interactive fiction. And people just said, this is a story. This right. is a play. And where the baseline isn't, oh, you know is this a piece of immersive theater? But someone hears it's a play and they ask, oh, do I do anything in this one or do I just sit back? Right? That's that's what I long for, is when it's an equal option to a passive experience. Um, and, and it's probably just a function of the fact that like I grew up playing video games um, and a lot of other people did too. I think it was really interesting uh, on that point of like, you know, in, in being very focused on obviously the people who responded to our audience survey were already fans of immersive works and were already sort of in that world. So that that's only a subset of the, you know, masses. But those who did, it was really interesting to see to, to your point about like, oh, is it this type of thing? Is it that type of thing? There was a pretty even split between production formats, you know, whether it's tracked or open world or one-on-one and also, you know, how much agency you have, it was actually almost evenly split between all of that as to preferences. And, and I think the takeaway there is that is, yeah, you don't, that's a, that's another layer of like complication that doesn't need to be part of that. It's like, sure. People like all kinds of things, you know, there's not like one standout perfect way of doing this. That note Let's talk a bit about what may want to be in the most controversial section of this year's report, which is where we talk about some stuff around standardization and categorization, and indeed kind of lay out a bit of an ESRB style, um, I don't want to say labeling system, but I will say taxonomy system, um, in order to create some transparency and to set expectations for the audience. So I don't know if uh, you guys want to run with the football here. Cause I know when we started this, I was like, Oh, Hey, uh, this, you know, you guys were into the idea. I was in the idea. And then like, we, I, you, we, you guys ran with it. So. So a lot of this, this sort of concept started when Ricky and I were just sort of spitballing with each other over what should this report include? And what do we think is important moving forward in this industry? What are challenges that this industry is facing? And a lot of it comes down to, I think, audience. 
expectations and audience understanding because this industry is so new. And so many creators have this problem of how do I explain this to anybody? And the whole concept of an elevator, an elevator pitch for an immersive production, usually just that just goes out the window because you're like, oh, I can sell you on this if I have an hour to tell you how epic it is. But in two seconds, I don't know. And so if we had a way of allowing audiences to have a quick understanding of what type of immersive experience or what type of thing they're getting into, and in sort of a quick snapshot, um, then that could be something to help our industry grow. It could help outsiders who don't know immersive, who maybe have heard of immersive or maybe not, have an in to where, you know, it's like, oh, they would actually really enjoy this. And I think that's where we really are as an industry is like, we're looking for that next step. We're ready. Like we already have those early adopters and they're like diehard fans and they're amazing and they go see everything. So it's like, okay, great. What's next? Let's get these other people. We know there are, you know, millions of people who would love immersive, but it's, it's a hard barrier to cross. And so that's why we really um, sort of turn to video games because video games, so many people play and the rating system that they have has been in the works for years and years and it has been modified and updated. And I think it's a fantastic system to sort of base ours off of. And again, this was the reason we started this was really just to help audiences really understand what they're getting into and help creators understand also and like be able to explain to their audience members. And this was more just a point of discussion. You know, we know that this has a long ways to go and we definitely want the community to weigh in. We want the arguments. We want the, you know, what's important to everybody so that we create the best system. Um, and, and another yeah. another layer to it, like you said, uh, setting proper expectations is really important because for those who have gone to one, let's say one immersive yeah. production, like let's say somebody went to sleep no more. Suddenly, every time they hear the words, immersive experience, they think of sleep no more. And if they go to something and it's absolutely nothing like sleep no more, it wasn't designed to be anything like that, but they come with that expectation in mind just because that's the phrase that they've attached to it. Suddenly, if it doesn't give them what they loved about that production, they might actually not be able to fully enjoy what's in front of them because they've walked in with the wrong sort of mindset. So being able to arm people with the knowledge that, okay, yeah, sure. Sleep No More is an immersive experience, but so are these like, you know, 700 other things that are not like it at all. We use the same sort of overall phrase to describe it, but there's a lot more to it. Right. And then I guess, so moving into the sort of categories we came up with, um, one of the big ones that we discussed forever amongst ourselves uh, was this idea of interaction and participation. Because we're we're thinking through all of the various types of, of immersive experiences, and so many of them vary drastically in how much little you participate, and that's another big expectation level. And that's something that you know I've gone to a lot of experiences myself, and I always question, what am I going to do? And that's sort of the do questions I think really important and really big for audiences who come in and they're like, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, am I going to be, you know, is this like a Cirque du Soleil show where, you know, some clown might call me up on stage and, and I'm going to get embarrassed. I don't want that, you know, or maybe I really want that. I want to be this person. Uh, I 
you know, live the limelight. embarrassed by clouds, clowns <laughs> in front of 2000 people. Like, I welcome oof. seeing that. I'm really that excited is, for that moment. Um, I don't actually, <laughs> but I'm, but there's, an audience for that. and there's, and there's nothing wrong with that. And right now, Cirque du Soleil could really use that money. So just saying. Right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, got I mean, some, I, the families love that. I love, I would love watching Ricky get up on a stage and make an ass of himself. Uh, but <laughs> to the point that we're getting at, it's really, are the productions passive or are they active? Are you going to have to do something? Or do you want to do something? Is another way to put it. Or do you want to be, do you just want to sit back and watch? And I think that's really massive for people trying to break the barrier of going to their first or a different immersive experience. What, what we realized along the way also is it's really important to, in, in trying to define these interaction levels um, and, and make it clear to people that we didn't want to describe the type of interaction. It is not right. intensity. It is not like, is this horror? Is this gore? Is it scary? Or is it light? Or is it fluffy? Or, you know, whatever. It has nothing to do with that. It's literally just how much interaction. Yeah. I think, you know, it's, we're using... We're using some framing here that looks a lot like the ESRB. And note, you know, the the ESRB ratings, much like the MPAA ratings, they and but very much so the ESRB ratings, they were an industry's proactive attempt to keep the government from regulating and indeed censoring um, you know, violence in video games. And they were a response to parental groups who were very concerned about what these games are doing to their children. Um, and the ESRB, uh, you know, has all kinds of issues with it. That is not at all what our intent is here. I mean, frankly, while there there are definitely people in the universe who uh, who believe that you know all of this is horribly corrupt, and I have seen. Uh, I've seen, you know, things written by community groups saying that, you know, an immersive theater production popping up in this place is just going to turn that space into a brothel. Literally, word for word, seen that written in civic records. Um, and 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 we're going to get. <laughs> be careful about saying that'll be used against us. Uh, we're going to see that kind of moral panic stuff as, um, you know, we we go on. This is actually more like a nutritional label. Right. 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 And I mean, for example, to, to your point, Noah, um, I mean, you can think of the most terrifying graphic haunted house walk through haunted house might have some promiscuous zombies doing whatever they're doing, attacking you. Um, but it's I have still a very visual imagination. Careful with the words promiscuous zombies. Ugh. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Right. This is the during the day. Nightmare fuel. <sighs> okay, so I will I will rearticulate that to being um, too late. Damage um, done. <laughs> <laughs> some scary zombies, um, but still, it's just you're not doing anything. You're still walking through. So that would be the base level interaction because you're not doing anything. You're walking. We're considering walking as base level because you're not asked to. You're not touching. You're not pushing a button. You're not. Um, triggering anything. You're literally just passively walking through. But then there are the extreme haunts. And some of those, most of those require you to do something in order to progress in the haunt. Um, and that would be a much higher level of interaction. Or endure. 
and 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 that's something and we've we've now baked this into the form at EI. So going forward, we're gonna be using that and and indeed, you know, articulating these points to the public. So and the, the funny thing here is that, and again, by 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 focusing in on some broad categorizations of levels, I know there's people who despise spoilers in any way, shape, or form. They want to be completely surprised. So by making it kind of generic about, um, you know, is it is it traversal? Is it optional interaction, or is it required interaction? Which are are the three big you know, categories. Um, if, if, if by making it that way, then, you know, no plot points are discussed. Uh, if, if you really want to go into stuff completely cold, you know, you'll be the kind of person who just buys a ticket blind. Uh, but even then, if, I, I think I reject the idea that people go into stuff uh, blind if they're, if they don't already, actually, they never go in blind. Almost no one just says, oh, it's a piece of immersive theater, I'm going to go regardless. If nothing else, they're going to be, I like the name, I like the poster, oh, this person's making it, oh, it's horror, right? Like there's some element beyond the fact that it is, um, you know, a piece of immersive theater. I mean, there are people out there who do watch, try to watch every single movie, and that's a kind of endurance. And But, you know, we're not... We don't need to do much for those folks other than just let them know something exists. Um, right. The, the vast majority is... of people can benefit from at least knowing, do I need to do something? Am I required to? Am I encouraged yeah. to? Or is it optional? Yeah. Um, and then another aspect that we, we looked at, again, to your other point, Noah, um, you know, is age appropriateness. Because a lot of these immersive experiences vary drastically. And can you bring children? Can I bring my teenager? Or is this something for our after hours um, enjoyment? Um, so that is pulling directly from the video game ratings. And that's something that everyone is very familiar with. Um, but I think that a lot of immersive experiences are, I mean, it just, it really runs the gamut. I mean, if you think of these pop-up um, art, uh, what, what do we call them? The, the art? Experiential art. There we go. Um, those are mostly all ages. Then a lot of immersive theater is, you know, it goes on the heavier side and you need to be 18 plus or they might have a bar in which it's 21 plus. So that's something that I think is really important for us to designate um, just really bluntly and uh, upfront with any experience. And, and again, to Noah's point earlier, this is not something we're being handed down from some government organization. You know, this is not slapping parental advisory stickers on CDs like back in the you know 80s, 90s. This is. I always wanted uh, to buy the ones that had that way more. Right. Like, well, thank yeah, you, exactly. Chipper Gore, for designating <laughs> what was cool. Exactly. <laughs> you were the teacher with the logo on it. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, no, in this case, we're actually saying, no, this is good because we want, again, to set these audience expectations. So if I'm going into something and I know that it is labeled as, you know, suitable for ages 13 and up, I can come up with a very specific mindset versus something that says adults only 21 plus. Very different mindset. So that one's pretty self-explanatory. I think that one's at least an easier one. Um, then to get to, I guess, one of the harder categories 
the more challenging ones that we talked um, a lot about with each other was really the the size of team and resources. Um, that that category is challenging because again, just to just to be really transparent about how we started discussing this, there are endless different types of creators. There are you know. I mean, even, even moving to Philly, there's been such amazing work that's been created here on so many different levels. And it's like somebody will have just learned what immersive is and be super excited and be like, sweet, I'm going to create this amazing show in my room um, that people can come to. And we want to make sure. And then there's somebody else who's probably gone to school for years or who cares about school. They've had a lot of experience. I don't know. Um, have a lot of background and knowledge. They've created something. We want to make sure that there are expectations again set for audience members so that they know, is this a fan who's created something and they're super excited for the first time? Or is this somebody who's put a lot of a lot of work and a lot of like years and years of knowledge and background into? And I know this is like, I feel strange saying this because it's kind of like a sticky topic. Um, but I think a lot of this could be really important. And so that's where we came to um, these different labels that we gave, which are student, micro-independent, independent, professional, and corporate. Mm -hmm. And we think those five categories really help um, creators be able to pick which one they feel most closely connected to, to really help their audiences understand the level of expectations. Because somebody who loves Marvel movies, it's probably going to want to see a more corporate or professional level experience. Um, they want those giant special effects. And they might be unsatisfied with something that doesn't have that. Unless unless they know very well ahead of time, hey, this is an independent production. Right. Then they can at least yeah. walk in like, okay, this is not a Marvel movie in real life. But right. this is you know the equivalent of an indie film. And it's a, yeah, it gives you that correct expectation. This was the section that we went towards the end round and round the most on uh, because we were trying to hit trying to hit a sweet spot and 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 honestly like this will there's a chance this one will morph again the most in time because it is a little bit weird it's something that you don't find in other systems in part because uh, it's sort of embedded in uh, the structure of the world. If you go to a black box theater, you know you're going to a black box theater. If you go to, you know, an indie movie at the Draft House, you got some word of mouth on that, you know, star that has one A-list celebrity who's doing like a character role. You know that it's like, oh, it's a prestige indie. You can pick up all the contextual clues for so much when you're in immersive world. You just hear a title, uh, hear a pitch, and you literally don't know if you're walking into someone's basement or if you're, you know, gonna go on like a, a, a city's, you know, level adventure that has some serious you know, production value to it. And the expectations you bring, um, again, some folks will want to go in completely blind. That's cool. For everybody else, there's there's this thing of of how do I judge this? Like what what should my expectations be? And also, you know, it's it's there's a disadvantage 
if you are coming to a piece of student work and trying to judge it like a corporate activation at Comic-Con, um, even at the level of that student work might actually move you more than the corporate activation did. And but yeah, this hopefully... is not saying this is not saying anything about the quality Absolutely at all. Absolutely not. And, and I want to yeah. make sure that that is very well known because, right, just what you're saying, no, it's somebody. I mean, that's why one of the bullet points that we have for determining a different level is what is the total project team size? Because there might be a project or a production or an experience that was created only by two people, and it might blow you away. It might be phenomenal. Like who knows? Um, it's just now that you know that, wow, only two people created this incredible experience. And, and you also know going in that, that yeah, not only is it two people, but you also know that it doesn't have the financial backing of Disney. You know, it's not like this is two people plus $10 million. Yeah. It's, you know, something on the smaller level that you can appreciate on the smaller level. And, and yeah, maybe it's better than a $10 million production in a lot of ways. Yeah. You know, so. There's so many things that people can compare easily to this. I mean, you can think of endless movies. You can think of so many like low budget movies that were absolutely phenomenal, touched you in all the right ways. Uh, but then you can think of some like super epic movies that have gone nowhere and tanked. So again, yeah, it's nothing to do with quality. Um, yeah. Everything to do with expectation setting. And, and one day this stuff, I would hope, will be kind of baked into the structure of the world in the same way that if I hear that a movie had a slam dance premiere, I'm going to know, I'm going to compare that differently to a movie that had a Sundance premiere. Mm -hmm. I'm going to compare differently to had a studio release, right? Uh, or, right, we just or, don't have that studio release and distribution system for this work yet. Yeah. And, and, and some of it they'll never be much like, with indie films, some of it they'll they'll never be, uh, and it's hard because in some of this stuff is regional work, and will always be regional work. And you know, thank God for that. One of the weird things about the internet is it does, you know, eliminate borders uh, and and reduce distance down to zero in terms of people's awareness of things, uh, not but not necessarily their visceral experience of things. And I think it can be, it, it, can, it can work wonders on one level, and also it can be really dangerous to like, you know, people hear like, oh my God, there's all these things in here. And like, it's just so, I mean, I watch people go like, I'm gonna move to LA because, you know, it's such an incredible scene out there and all these things I've heard about. And it's like, okay, all these things you've heard about, but have you been to them? You know, before you move out here, maybe come to them, <laughs> go check them out, because maybe it doesn't hit you in quite the same way. That being said, like, I'm not trying to throw LA creators on the bus. There's <laughs> work out here. Philly seems uh, but, Yeah, so but your yeah, but your your mileage, as they say, will vary. Uh, and there's we are still in that mode where you know, gloriously, there's still. Uh, a lot of variation from location to location, location. And there's also a lot of, you know, there are obstacles um, that are unique to every region. Um, and giving people tools to understand sort of where a creator's at in their career 
and also giving creators a tool to kind of gauge where they're at in their career. Uh, hopefully will will help, you know, shepherd more projects into existence. Um, we've got a question from uh, one of NoPro LA's correspondents, Laura Hess. Uh, Laura, I'm going to try and bring you into the convo real quick. Let's see if this um, works. You have, uh, you should be able to, to power your microphone on here. So go ahead and uh, ask your question. Hi, I'm wondering about, um, especially since we started at the top of the podcast, Ricky, you were talking about how you're just a lover of numbers and metrics. And so one of the things that I thought was super interesting in the report is how um, a number of immersive theater respondents identify their experiences. The creators are identifying their experiences as an art form before a business. And so there was some interesting um, information around how to have conversations with investors or with sponsors. And I wanted to touch on that a little bit because I understand the need for people to have data around ROI, but how do you have some of those conversations for immersive, not just immersive theater, but for immersive experiences of all kinds when people are looking for, how do you, how do you identify the levels of engagement, the quality of engagement when that's something that's so hard to quantify? It's a great question. It is one of the hardest questions for sure, especially for artists, because the challenge really is for, I mean, it, the brutal reality is kind of that for a lot of investors and funders, it's not that they don't care about the artistry, but they don't care about the artistry. You know, it's, it's, uh, there's a certain amount of people with money who just want to look at, at the numbers and say, great, how many people, how many, how much money, how often, um, you know, how scalable is this? What's your growth? What's your projections? You know, all the business side of things. And that is that is what a lot of people are just simply looking for. You can you need to hook them, of course, with, yeah, this is a great product. This is this is, you know, this many people loved it. Here's the reactions. And they'll be like, great, you got something that people like. Cool. Where is this going? And, 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 and it's showing in the state of the industry right now. You know, we did ask, you know, where in the industry life cycle is everybody? And, and half the respondents said they're still feeling like they're in, in the introductory phase, which is the R&D phase, you know, the experimentation, the figuring out what your product is phase. And that's totally cool. In that phase, you know, trying to necessarily get millions of dollars in funding is probably not necessarily the best idea until you have something that is conceivably at least scalable and and you know can grow which of course we have identified as well as one of the biggest challenges that this industry is facing for smaller creators um i think we're looking towards you know the more established parts of the industry obviously theme parks haunted attractions escape rooms they've found very solid business models that allow you know artistry to lean on very specific quantifiable numbers you know we have this many people coming through per hour at this price and it's sustained for this many weeks or this many months that's a very justifiable fact um it, it is a little it is a lot harder for something that lives only for a weekend or for a few weeks and is designed to be that way you know, if you think about theater models in general, going back decades and decades and decades, so much of it is supported by grants and donations and all, and that kind of thing. Um, and I think Sarah can talk a little bit about the the different 
types of funding that, you know, these sort of packages that, that people put together to try to, to try to get that going? Yeah, I mean, we, we also have a, an immersive company and we've actually gone through a lot of the investor and finance route to consider investment and consider trying to find you know, what type of investment might work for us. And it's been very eye-opening to learn um, all about the investment world and the amount of numbers that go into it. And it's really interesting because we started thinking a little differently. It's like, what are ways of fundraising for our immersive projects? Because some investors might not be ready um, because it is your specific question is one of the hardest. How do you quantify what, you know, how people enjoy this? Again, to reiterate, Ricky, they don't really care. Uh, at the end of the day, sure, it's exciting and it's a new thing, but they're like, they're excited about the growth potential. They're excited that this immersive word is super buzz heavy uh, or buzzworthy. But it comes down to like, if you think of the Broadway world, they get money from, I mean, there are producers that are literally paid commission to go out and find money. Um, so there are different ways of going about it. I mean, there's, I, I don't know if you're interested in, in learning more about other ways of financing or if you're specifically interested in investment. Um, I guess I can throw that back at you to, to more direct this. No, I'm interested really broadly across, yeah, not just investment. I'm interested, I guess, um, really broadly funding and how funding is changing, as you're saying. I think something sure. I mean, there's also like the way movies are financed and it is a hodgepodge of everything. It's not just, oh, let's go get this one investor. And that's how a lot of like startups fund. They're like, okay, let's go get our, our seed and our angel investor. And then, you know, let's do our seed round after that. And, and let's get our little combination of investors. But you can do so many different methods in order to get your money. I mean, even, even you know, crowdfunding is still an option, depending on if your product's exciting enough and how you can have that be, be exciting enough. But even right now, um, there are a lot of loan options available. And if you finance things correctly, you can get the loan and you can get an investment and you can do crowdfunding. You can do all these different, you know. It's really that combination right. of everything that it seems to be necessary because, I mean, in our, you know, we, we do have the small funding section in the report and we, we kept it intentionally small because in the United States, at least, there really is not a hugely clear path towards specifically immersive funding. In the UK, it's starting to emerge a lot more. You know, the government has invested a few million pounds into recent efforts uh, in immersive tech. There are some, some you know, grants that were specifically targeted towards uh, immersive entertainment in the UK. And there are a few organizations that are starting to, to emerge, but it's still, it is still early on. It is, it, there is no simple path. And this is something that's really, I think, important to, to the a reason why we wrote this report, why we decided to write this report is because as this industry grows, people are going to, new companies are going to be emerging and seeing, great, I have these amazing ideas. I have these amazing concepts. How do I actually create this? Well, we need funding in order to do that. And we need connections to funding in order to do that. So many other industries, yeah, already have their very specific lineup of how to get there. And that's something that we're looking to create. And I think probably in the next year's report or maybe the years after that, that's something we're going to really heavily focus on is how to get that funding and how do we really establish a specific system um, for, for approaching that? Because, yeah, for theater, 
there's endless opportunities of, I mean, sure, they're very competitive to get grants, but it's out there. And even, you know, a lot of large corporations have uh, nonprofit segments or they have their own grants that they uh, use to help uh, spur innovation in the industry. And so maybe that's an option that we can start trying to reach out to um, and, and set up different opportunities for creators to get financing. One of the things that we're sort of soon to be laser focused here is on a model that really has been shaped by the large scale success of Sleep No More, which came out of the nightlife world uh, and ran people through that experience like nightlife. Uh, you know, because Randy and company had done, you know, the donkey show before they had run the box, which was, you know, the, the, you know, nightclub of the, 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 the high crash, you know, dot-com era. And, and also the swirling around of Silicon Valley style venture capitalism and how much that world has sort of defines things. The film world, and indeed the theater world, particularly the Broadway world, you know, the financing there is as much about the prestige of the work as it is about making money back. Only a few Broadway shows become hits. And some of those are very calculated to be crowd pleasers. Uh, you know, the, the idea is that you're going to be entertaining the tourists for a generation that's your hope. There's also plenty of work that's focused on the prestige and focus on impact. And that's something that I don't see a lot of creators focusing on. And because of that, that's one of the reasons why that world of funding isn't opening up in the same way, because those types of investors, the people who want the prestige, who know that putting money into theatrical entertainment is often lighting cash on fire, but if you can light cash on fire in order to gain the cultural capital, right? Are you having an impact? You can look at things like what participant media does and they have a double bookkeeping system uh, with regard to the films they make. There is one line item, which is about the actual money in and out from theatrical release and you know streaming deals, et cetera. And there's another set of books that's all about the impact the film they make has on the cultural conversation, has on policy. That's, and there's a world of philanthropy that will walk in and do that if you wanna make that kind of work. We happen to be in a moment where that kind of work is really, really valuable. I mean, it's always really valuable, but people are conscious of it in a way they haven't been before. Um, this is a thing to dial in on. And there's also something to be said that as a collective of artists, as a, as a growing industry, finding ways to create platforms for prestige uh, is incumbent upon us, right? Uh, we can't just be fully reliant upon, well, they made it into the New York Times, which we often do. That's kind of our standard because they made it into no pro is not enough by far. <laughs> um, like I, I chuckle and I run that damn thing. So Catherine runs that damn thing. I just put my name on it. Um, they, they, it's not, it's not enough finding ways to platform our own people, but that platforming has to have real impact 
and and, and not just be uh, we're throwing a party for the sake of uh, throwing uh, a party. Um, Ozia's got a question. I'm gonna open have Ozia open up uh, her mic, and then I think this will be the last one because also this sort of uh, the reason I'm gonna end on this question, uh, aside from whatever back and forth, is that it's also a little thing that we were talking about um, earlier uh, today. So Ozia, go ahead and uh, open your mic, please. I'm gonna count to five or I'll read it. All right, Ozia's mic is not being open, so I'm gonna read it. Uh, question, on page 23, are you looking, you are looking at immersive work geography, which is great considering theater going increasingly global. However, one can't help but notice that the list of countries represented is limited. Are you aiming to include immersive industries from other parts of the world in the future? And what are some of the ways the awareness of the international arena of immersive can be increased? Ricky and Sarah, go for it. That was a very fast reading of yeah. that question. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, we were scrolling to page 23. Oh. Uh, one more time. Oh, um, um, it's it's sort of immaterial. To, it's basically like the there aren't that many countries listed. Uh, so right. what's going to be done about expanding that footprint? Yeah. Sure. I think that's something we're very interested in and very excited about because I think the United States is uh, quite behind um, a lot of our European uh, sisters. Yeah. The mar <laughs> the market for a lot of immersive work, especially immersive theater in the UK, you know, it has, is much more established than in the U S. So, so naturally, yes, the report should certainly feature more of that. Um, and I, I think it's something that we, I mean, there's already a lot going on in, in all, I mean, also thinking of all the LARPs that are happening all over the world. I would love to include all of that. Um, this is one of those things where Ricky and I wrote, this just the two of us without much help. I mean, obviously <laughs> Noah was tremendously helpful, um, but at the end of the day, it was just two of us trying to do everything. And um... Noah, Noah offered us <laughs> us a ton, a ton oh, of money for just huge funding. Hey, hey, don't make those jokes. People will think <laughs> exactly you know, zero dollars. Uh, um, and okay. we, right. no, no, no. Right. I, I was going to put you guys up. I was going to put you guys up for the summit. Remember that? I was putting right. you up. No, that's true. We, we were going to have a gathering, so. and we were yeah. going to watch Noah go on stage as a clown too. Um, <laughs> so yes, we would love to incorporate this worldwide. I would love to chat more and learn more and about have, the industry. And have help. Have help with with people. <laughs> across the world because this is an international phenomenon that's going on this this industry is going on worldwide and i think it's absolutely fascinating and i think if we can come together as a you know worldwide community that would only help all of us grow and achieve all of the goals and success that i think we can have and so if you whoever asked this question um who, who asked the question noah yeah it's the question so uh, it was, it was uh, Asia. Oh, if you would love to help with us, <laughs> help <laughs> us next year, that would be great. Or if there are people who could help us um, make connections to various people um, to get this information, because again, for the survey results, you know, we blasted the surveys out to as many people uh, as would not um, get annoyed with us. by blasting. It went on everything immersive. It went on no proscenium. Right. We put it on our networks and, and it just, it just, because we are in the United States, our networks are here. Um, but definitely, you know, last year for the, the first report, and I think it'll happen again this year, we had the report translated into uh, Chinese, I believe for release in the, in the Asian market. Um, which is great, even though it doesn't really feature much information about the Asian market. And I think that is something 
yeah, and any help anybody out there that would love to contribute to a future report would be phenomenal. And I think that would really help BIFA. I mean, we already, we jumped from how many pages was the report last year? Uh, about 25. So 25 to 100. So we beefed it up just a little bit. And yeah. so I think adding an international section um, so that we become global, I think would really help this be a fully cohesive report and not just sort of centered on the United States. One of the things that we're interested in, one of the reasons why we are incorporating, or we did incorporate the Institute and we're pushing to transform that into a 501c3 is so that we can have the resources to do this kind of research. You know, all jokes aside, you know, Ricky and Sarah did this work on a volunteer basis, if you take the sum total of what they were comp would have been compensated if they came out, it would have been about like $400, uh, which is insulting. But also we don't get a lot of, you know, funds through this. Like none of us are making a living wage right now. Um, if we, but we, we, we do some of this work so that we can make the case that there should be larger institutional support around what we're doing. Uh, and that means partnering up and beg borrowing, stealing, you know, like what data we can. There's also a question of like, you know, vetting the data. The thing that I worry the most about in terms of expanding our reach is uh, internationally is I don't just want to have anyone just kind of pop up on the radar and say, hey, I've got all the data you need from you know, country X. Um, and I'm, I'm always, as a journalist, I'm always very suspicious of that. Um, you know, we, we kludge the data together. Uh, we try and cross-reference it um, when we have industry reports, uh, you know, for, for other aspects. We don't, we don't try and take a number as, uh, you know, gospel necessarily. And we make it clear that with the, own, the survey stuff we get in ourselves, we try and be very clear this is survey respondents, right? Like that level of transparency. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm more concerned that we are transparent with where our data is coming from so it can be examined than I am with us getting it right. I want to get it right, but it's much more important that we can trace it back. Case in point, you know, we've had some notes about uh, the nomenclature on escape rooms, for, uh, facilities versus rooms, and also on like the scale of the number. And so we're, you know, there's a, a revised version of it's going to, you know, change things up. Um, there's also just that we try and get some standardization across the board. Uh, you know, all of us are skilled writers and editors. No one here is a professional data research, you know, person. There, there are people that we would love to be able to pay but that money's got to come from somewhere. And hopefully that money comes from giant institutions and stakeholders who want to be able to make the case. Um, it's a fool's errand to bootstrap anything. And yet I am a born fool. So we continue <laughs> to do the work. Uh, we will do what we can until we get all of the support that we need. Or we're dead. Uh, that's... <laughs> Full stop. Uh, um, this went on longer than we expected. Thank you, Ricky and Sarah, for uh, uh, running the gauntlet with us today. Uh, Will, for those of you who are hanging out in the Discord right now, 
uh, we'll we'll pop into the cafe. Uh, for those of you who are listening at home, well, that already happened. Uh, but if you want to uh, be able to do that kind of thing, uh, join up on the Patreon. Uh, speaking of support, and uh, you can be a part of this type of live event and the discussions we have afterwards. Um, with that, uh, Ricky and Sarah, how do folks connect with you guys online? Uh, we uh, are out here in Philadelphia with uh, Pseudonym Productions, um, you know, on pause with live events, but that will that will come back soon enough. And online, our website is questionreality.com. We have all of our contact information on there. would love to hear from everybody. Once again, I want to thank Ricky and Sarah for being our guests on the show. Uh, you can find the industry report at everythingimmersive.com. That's the easiest way to, to find it. It's right there on the front page. And as Ricky mentioned, uh, you can find them at Pseudonym Productions and also at questionreality.com. Um, this is the third attempt on the close because each time I tried to do the close, it turned into a rant and I don't want to do that right now. I just want to point out, and I'll put in the show notes, uh, there is uh, what I see is a very hopeful article in the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences of the United States of America. Um, a research article was published this week, uh, identifying airborne transmission as the dominant route for the spread of COVID-19. And what it comes down to is this, wear the mask, wear the mask, wear the mask. I know it's a political issue. I'm not going to address it right now because every time I try to address it, woo, I go off. The best thing you can do as a producer is make sure that if you're that your staff are wearing masks and that if you've got patrons sharing space with other members of the public or with staff that they are wearing masks as well that's the thing you can do it makes a huge difference I know it's not easy for everyone. Uh, some folks uh, who have asthma have a particular problem with the cloth masks. I have mad sympathy for you because I've been borderline asthmatic uh, <laughs> pretty much my entire life. Uh, and uh, no, they're not comfortable. Uh, but it is. Oh, well, yeah. So I'm not going to go there right now. But the masks make a massive difference more than social distancing. The The, the report says that social distancing uh, itself is not sufficient. Um, the masks are the key because airborne is the way. Um, I know it's fraught, but this is actually good news because there's something simple we can do to fight this thing and get ourselves to the better version of the world that we are owed. All right. If you, like me, are having issues with people who are fighting back in a bigger way, Hit me up. Let's do some brainstorming because we need to reframe this. We can't let this be dragged into the, the mire. It's too much at stake. All right. Got to work on the frame. Work on the frame. Wear the mask. There. That's the short version. Every other version was 12 minutes long. You're welcome. <sighs> let's do the credits and let's get out of here. Uh, we've got some office hours today at four o'clock. Uh, if you happen to be listening to this before then you're, you're not, but you know, just in case you are, and we will do some more office hours. You know what? We'll do office hours next Friday at four as well. Why not? 
Uh, let's do consistent office hours, four o'clock Pacific Friday, uh, barring some disaster. <laughs> As I say that, I realize I'm probably summoning a disaster. Whatever, 2020, it's a, it's a chrysalis. Um, the, uh, the music for No Persinium is by Chris Porter of the Speakeasy Society. Our sustaining backers are Mark Baltazar, Jan Budman, Paul F., Lonnie Hansen, Ari Hurston, Sam Kinkin, Samuel Mystery, Sidney Guillory, Jeremy Charles Hahn, Brittany, and Elaine. I'm Noah Nilsson. This has been our show. And until next time, wear the mask. Wear the mask.